Welcome to The Bit, a podcast from Upstream, the international oil and gas newspaper. This is the week of April 3rd. My name is Luke Johnson. I write for Upstream. And if you're thinking, wait a second, I thought The Bit was on hiatus. Well, turns out we're having a hard time staying away. <laughs> um, but we have also heard a lot of feedback from our listeners who basically demanded that we stick around for a while. So we are giving the people what they want, at least for this week. Uh, Kat Schmidt is here with me now in Houston, and she managed to take some time out of her busy schedule to talk about what is turning into quite an active few months for operators in the Gulf of Mexico. Hey there, Kat. Hey, Luke. Um, We are, in fact, going to devote our entire episode this week to the Gulf, which, as I said, has seen a flurry of activity recently. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit later about um, some new assets that Statoil now owns in the Gulf that could turn into more of a liability than a profit opportunity, so hang around for that. But we'll start this week with a fresh bit of intel that Kat managed to dig up, and it concerns the Chevron-operated Tigris development in the Keithley Canyon area of the U.S. Gulf of Mexico. Tigris is the project name for a cluster of lower tertiary fields that Chevron plans to develop alongside its partner BP and, until very recently, ConocoPhillips. Uh, But Kat, as you reported this week, uh, Conoco appears to have backed out of the Tigris project altogether. So what's going on here? So uh, Tigris is made up of three discoveries. Originally, um, it is now Tiber, Gibson, and Guadalupe. Originally, um, Gila was also in there, but that has since been written off. Um, So as of late March, according to U.S. leasing records, ConocoPhillips no longer owns a stake in any of those two discoveries that they were partners in, namely Tyburn and Gibson. Um, It's down to Chevron and BP, and Petrobras still has some interest in there as well. Um, This hasn't been a huge surprise, as ConocoPhillips has said that they've been wanting to get out of deep water for some time now. Um, But it's worth noting that it was just in 2015 that uh, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, and BP all struck this kind of grand bargain to jointly develop all of these fields. And a lot in the industry has changed since then. Yeah, well, uh, Conoco has been pretty clear about its intention to kind of, you know, pare down its portfolio as it's looking to focus more and more on U.S. shale. I mean, just a few days ago, we saw them strike this $13 billion deal to sell off most of their assets in Canada. So they seem to be making good on their divestment plans. But as far as uh, the deep water goes, um, you know, Conoco management has said flat out that they don't really plan to to do any more exploration in the foreseeable future uh, deep in the deep water. Uh, but the question is kind of hung in the air as to whether they would stick it out in these uh, developments that they are partnered in, like Tigris. Yeah, I mean, so ConocoPhillips, they made a big entry into deep water, at least in the Gulf, um, to really push into some of these uh, further flung fields. And they've been since saying, you know, they don't want to sell off these valuable stakes at quote unquote buyer sale prices. So it's unclear if their decision to get out of Tigris uh, was given a change of heart in that regard, they just wanted to be done, or whether um, Chevron and BP made them a decent offer to buy them out. Um, we didn't have any indication of the deal terms. Uh, the companies confirmed uh, to me today that the um, the changes in ownership have taken place, but they haven't provided any financial details. So um, the next question for ConocoPhillips will be what they do with Shenandoah, the Anadarko-operated development where they have a 30% stake. And so what does this what does Conoco's exit from Tigris mean for that project? 
Um, well, now we pretty much have a BP Chevron show uh, that's left. Um, the So the, the ownership of the development uh, started out kind of scattered between companies, and it's since been narrowing. Um, so Venari, uh, for instance, dropped its share in Guadalupe last year and is out of the project. Um, Petrobras has stepped away from some blocks as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got out of the remaining ones because they've kind of been on a divestment tear themselves. Um recently as well so i mean i think you know well unity and collaboration are nice pr but having that partner is probably makes for kind of a too many cooks type situation so this this may just make things more straightforward for chevron and bp mm-hmm. but as far as you know i mean things are are pretty clearly moving ahead i mean you re- reported a, a couple weeks ago that chevron has started awarding um, engineering contracts at least for the top sides at tigress yeah um both bp and chevron have continued uh, with appraisals in this area um, and they've said they've continued to scope out the potential of the development um, Chevron confirmed with us that Wood Group has um, won the coveted pre-feed contract for top size design on a potentially new semi-submersible. Um, Chevron has said that they're looking at a design one, build two type deal um, for both Tigris and Anchor, which is another major lower tertiary discovery in the another part of the Gulf called Green Canyon. So um, both projects are still in these very early stages, but um, you know, they look committed to at least scoping out to whether this comes to an FID. And I mean, for the perspective of Wood Group, it's, um, you know, they're they're definitely cementing their dominance for these types of projects in the Americas. Um, competition keeps trying to get in there on the feed work, but they have not been having much luck lately. So we've got to ask, um, ask CEO Michelle McNichol for her secrets on that one. Yeah, Wood Group definitely seems to be doing something right in the space. I guess what it would come down to for Chevron and BP if they keep losing partners. Um, I don't know if we have a, a, a cost estimate for Tigris, but um, they're <laughs> looks like they're going to be footing more and more of the bill. That's the other <laughs> side of the coin. Well, I mean, they both have the money, and now that we've started to see a new lower cost um, framework for deep water developments to come up, you know, this is a project that both companies are very capable of doing on their own and while they probably would have liked to have another partner and may yet get one it's conceivable they might try to farm it down some um you know they still have the i think they still have the capacity to do it just uh, the two of them sure okay let's uh, turn quickly now to uh the gulf of mexico lease sale that took place a couple weeks ago um this was actually a pretty active lease sale compared to some recent ones and hopefully a sign that some level of confidence is returning to the deep water sector. But uh, let's just look at a couple of the more interesting bids that were placed um, in this most recent sale. Um, Garden Banks Block 1006 was the most competitive. Uh, and re- it received five bids from some major players, including Shell, um, Chevron, and Statoil. Total ended up winning the block with a bid of around $12 million. Um, but why did this block attract such interest? Well, uh, it's very close to Cobalt International Energy's planned North Platte development. Uh, Cobalt threw in its own offer, too. Um, And what does this mean? Um, It's certainly a positive endorsement of this geology. It shows that the super majors are paying attention to what this um, independent has dug up. But it also shows that people are also paying attention if Cobalt ultimately needs help advancing this development. 
Cobalt's been having a hard time after its deal to sell off its angle and assets fell apart. And uh, management has said they're going to try and avoid this, but they realize they may need to consider a sale of the company or a hefty farm down of developments like North Platte. So, you know, and they've said that there's been interest. So a a well-financed partner who could help push things along may well be welcome for them at this stage. And so, you know, and I would just add that it's not atypical in the Gulf of Mexico to buy blocks nearby to a discovery and then try to weasel your way in and unitize uh, some of the volume there. (laughs) Okay, um, another block of interest was Keithley Canyon 736, which some may remember as the home of Chevron's moccasin discovery. Chevron, of course, uh, had been working to co-develop Moccasin with um, the nearby Buckskin Field, but it ultimately fell apart and uh, Chevron dropped the leases um, a few years ago. And as you have reported before, Kat, uh, privately held log exploration is now the operator of Buckskin, and as of this most recent lease sale, now also controls the rights to Moccasin. So Log offered a cool $1.7 million for this block. It was the sole bidder. And for those of you who are keeping track or maybe house hunting in Houston like I am right now, $1.7 million buys you either in this market a um, mini mansion in the Houston Heights or a lower tertiary discovery with questionable economics. <laughs> in any case, um, Log has been working to develop buckskin uh, almost certainly as a tieback to Anadarko's Lucius Spar. Um, there's been lots of circumstantial evidence to suggest this project is going forward. Um, Anadarko had um, Buckskin listed as part of one of its recent presentations that it made to investors. Um, so we, d- we don't know what log specifically may be playing for Moccasin, uh, but stands to reason that it could be seen as part of uh, that development in the same way that, that Chevron did at one time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we do have um, at least one more lease sale update, but we're going to save that for after the break, so stay tuned for that. Uh, you can read about all these recent stories at upstreamonline.com, and the bit will be back right after this. Welcome back to The Bit. The 2012 bankruptcy of ATP Oil & Gas is the bankruptcy that just keeps on giving. And by giving, I mean giving the rest of the industry headaches. Statoil is the latest Gulf of Mexico operator to get saddled with liabilities associated with former ATP assets. Statoil revealed in its annual report published in March that it is now the operator of record of Mississippi Canyon Blocks 941 and 942, quote, on the request of U.S. authorities. So, Kat, basically, Statoil has been assigned operatorship of these two blocks, which also happened to host the non-producing oil and gas platform, once known as the ATP Titan. So how did Statoil get involved here, and why is it a problem for them? Well, this stems from the bankruptcy um, in late 2016 of Bennu Oil & Gas. Um, As some background, Bennu was formed out of the ashes of ATP to try and market them and breathe new life into them, blah, blah, blah. Um, It bought the Titan platform and was looking to continue developing some of the fields around it. Um, But then basically the oil bust happened and Bennu itself ended up going bankrupt as well. 
And because Statoil had once held ownership in these leases, according to those rules, they're next in line to assume the liabilities, even though they haven't really been involved in these blocks for almost a decade. Though they do uh, control some of the undeveloped deep rights there. So that sounds a lot like what happened to Anadarko a couple years ago um, with the Gomez fuel. They owned something like a 1% stake in that before they had sold it to ATP. This occurred many, many years ago. But then when ATP went bankrupt and the Gomez fuel had to be decommissioned a few years later, uh, Anadarko had to foot the bill. And that cost them something like you know more than $100 million to decom a field that they never even really profited from. Yeah, I mean, Statoil is facing a somewhat similar situation with the Titan uh, which isn't producing currently. Um, Bennu did plug many of the wells and shut in the platform prior to its bankruptcy filing, um, but U.S. law requires that even idle platforms be manned with a licensed marine crew at all times. So this costs money, food, fuel, schlepping crews on and offshore, and Statoil, for now in any case, is getting stuck with the bill. Um, Statoil says that this is costing it about $700,000 a month, which is a lot of money when you're already trying to cut costs. So Statoil has uh, headed to the courts to try and get some relief, um, and we're kind of still waiting on the outcome of um, some of that. Right, but so Statoil doesn't really own the platform, they're just the operator record, right? So so how does that work exactly? So this, this all gets a little bit complicated, um, but ATP financed the construction of the Titan with a $350 million loan from a bank called Beale Bank. And Bennu assumed the loan when it bought the facility and the platform was collateral. So now that Bennu has defaulted and is in the process of liquidating, the, back, the bank excuse me, is the de facto owner, and Stadl is arguing that Beale should help pay for some of the costs to man the platform. And so that case is, like you said, uh, currently in court. On where, where does it stand? Well, it's, it gets even more complicated because the actual owner of the Titan is a subsidiary of Bennu called, appropriately, Bennu Titan, and that entity is in a separate bankruptcy filing from Bennu Oil and Gas. Uh, one case is in Delaware, one is in Houston, and there's an ongoing effort in to get them into the same jurisdiction, and Stuttle's case is kind of tied up in all of this. Um, until it's resolved. Um, but Beale has indicated that it will auction or will attempt to auction off the platform sometime in the first half of this year. Um, so if that's sold, it could change things again. Okay. Um, and I guess so there's another layer of intrigue in all this, and that's the fact that the Titan facility is very close to where Shell and Statoil are planning to build a new facility to produce the Vito Discovery. Um, the Titan also happens to be even closer to the power nap field where Shell and Statoil have declared kind of competing discoveries. In fact, I think there was talk at one time of possibly taking um, power nap um, resources to the Titan. Um, so what are, we to, what are we to make of this? I mean, is there any chance that Shell or even Statoil would be interested in buying the Titan outright at auction? Um, it's hard to say. Um, the Titan is kind of a cool, uh, cool structure. Um, it was an innovative design at the time that came out of um, Gulf Island in Homa, Louisiana, and is attributed to uh, Doc Laborde, um, the industry Titan, who is responsible for, among other things, the idea of a movable drilling rig and offshore supply ships as we know him. So this was another, the basic framework for this was another one of his ideas. Um, basically, in a lot of ways, the platform is triangular. It's a three-column semi-submersible, but it's 
it has a pretty deep draft. So the idea is that it captures um, this the motion patterns of a spar while also conferring other um, advantages of a semi-submersible. And the idea would be that it's this um, elusive redeployable marginal field structure which could be brought up to the next field after the initial field expired. So this facility is designed to be redeployed. Um, supposedly has a 40-year lifespan, probably still perfectly functional, um, but the question is whether it's going to be a match for another field. Um, to that end, Shell has already started awarding contracts for Vito um, in terms of the initial engineering, and um, they've put a lot of work into it already. So, and PowerNap has been envisaged kind of as a tieback to the Vito development scheme. So, you know, the, the problem is with, you know, anytime you redeploy a facility, you have to deal with um, maintenance over time, but you also need to make sure that the old facility is a match in terms of its design and the type of crude it's expected to handle of whichever new facility needs to be developed. And those timelines don't always match up perfectly. So, you know, particularly if Vito has the potential to be a long-producing new field, you know, they're probably more comfortable designing and building their own thing. Uh, so they have more control, don't have to leave as much up to chance. Um, but you never know, I suppose. Plus Vito, I think they've put a lot of work into Vito. I mean, it's been kind of on the, the burner for, for several years now. And I think it's, I think it's a kind of a complicated field. So like you say, uh, this Titan was designed to produce um, the shallower more kind of straightforward fields, I think, and um, who knows if that will be able, translatable uh, to Vito. Yeah, more more knowledgeable and uh, skilled engineers than us will have to work that out. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, well, just to bring this all full circle, um, in the most recent lease sale, uh, Shell was the highest bidder on a block right in this same area, and that would be Atwater Valley Block 64. Shell offered what was actually the highest bid of the entire sale at uh, $24 million, and they beat out competition from Statoil, as well as Log, funnily enough. Um, but I suppose this probably says more about uh, veto prospects than it does necessarily the fate of the Titan, huh? Maybe so. Um, and we'd be looking at most likely a final investment decision in 2018, um, you know, Oil said. But, you know, it, it kind of... Um, this case kind of exemplifies the growing pains that basins run into as they become mature and as operators face the challenge of integrating older assets with new developments and how can we all peacefully coexist, et cetera. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, it's a really interesting story. We got a lot about that on the website, upstreamonline.com. So be sure to go there and read up about these projects. The bit will be back right after this. Welcome back to The Bit. Finally this week, we're going to move south into the Mexican portion of the Gulf of Mexico, where we have a payday to report. Kat's going to tell us about a well ENI recently finished drilling on acreage it acquired in Mexico's inaugural bid round. The historic opening of Mexico's oil and gas fields to international operators is starting to bear fruit. 
Any recently drilled a well it calls Amoka 2 on acreage it acquired in round one, uh, which the operator has described as an appraisal of a previous Pemex discovery. That well encountered 360 feet of net oil pay, certainly a solid result, and not terribly surprising given that it's a known oil field. But what's remarkable about this new discovery is that the bottom two-thirds of the formation was not previously drilled by Pemex when it made the original find. When any spun the bit, it found heavy oil in the shallower reaches, but light hydrocarbons were revealed in the deeper segment, apparently opening new horizons beneath the known ones. Any now says that there is, quote, a meaningful upside to its original estimates, which have previously been pegged at around 107 million barrels of oil with projected output of some 35,000 barrels per day. People have long talked about Mexico's oil fields as, quote unquote, bitten apples. The country has been blessed with natural resources, which historically have been plentiful and easy to produce. That has led state-run Pemex to tend to focus more on finding new areas rather than fully exploiting the fields that it already has. Amoka 2 is only one well, but if you extrapolate any result across the entire basin, even in a crude and basic way, the shallow waters off Mexico could be awash in untapped potential. This could be great news for areas like the Campeche Sound, which has long been one of the globe's top producing regions but has suffered declines in recent years. Development of these regions should not be too much of a burden either. Amoca is not too far from the coast and lies in just 25 meters of water. With all that in mind, you can see why new explorers like any are hungry for their own bite of the apple. That does it for another episode of The Bit. Thanks for listening. The Bit is a production of NHST and is produced by me, Luke Johnson. RDG provides the bumper music. If you want to get in touch with us, email us at thebit at upstreamonline.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website at upstreamonline.com, your home for independent oil and gas news. We'll be back next time with even more oil and gas news. But until then, keep your bit spinning to the right. I clearly didn't go to bed at a decent hour. Um. <laughs>